You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I'd invite you to open your Bibles this morning and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy is a book which speaks about the covenant that God established with his people in so many different ways. It it's been noted that it actually, the whole way this book lays out, it's a covenant document. We heard that in the ten words of God's covenant, which we read from Deuteronomy chapter 5. We heard that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as God's people were commanded to impress these truths upon their children in covenant faithfulness. And we continue to hear about this covenant, particularly about the blessings for obedience within the covenant as we read Deuteronomy chapter 28 this morning. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed And the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything that you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he has given you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Our text this morning is Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor, Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Ephesians chapter 5, at verse 18, 
Paul writes this to the Ephesians. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In worship, as we as God's people gather together for worship, in, in covenantal worship, because God calls us into covenant, establishes his covenant with us, we have the blessing and we even have the imperative, the command of singing to one another, of joining together in song. And as we do so, of of coming together and of blessing one another through those songs. Have you ever considered, as we come together for worship, that we do come here with entirely different circumstances of life? We all come here in a different headspace. We come here as young and old and all sorts of different people in between. But then, in that very first song, until the very last song, we sing. We come together with one voice and we take these words on our lips and we sing all together. And that itself is a unifying experience, not only because of the sound that we make, but even more because of what we are doing in that time. As one person is is downtrodden, they're tired, they're sad. And we, we lift them up as we sing praises to God. And another has their mind elsewhere. They're, they're not here, so to speak. Their mind is somewhere else. And we draw them in and we call them to be here. Come here. Let your mind be present here with us. Because we are worshiping God. And God will speak to us. On this day. We call on one another. We remind one another. We bless one another. As we join together in song. This is what we do as a covenant community. This is what we do as the church of Jesus Christ. We sing songs. And as we consider Psalm 128 this morning... We'll consider that among the many different types of songs that we sing, we sing the song of blessing to one another. We sing the song of blessing so that we might be blessed, be richly blessed through God's grace. And so our theme this morning is that the covenant community sings the song of blessing. We'll consider first, before we even really get into this psalm itself, we'll consider the context of this blessing. And then we'll work our way through this psalm, looking at the criteria for blessing in verse 1, the clues of blessing, verses 2, 3, and 4, and the conferring of blessing in verses 5 and 6. 
So first we consider the context of this blessing. What's the context of this psalm? Well, it's most likely the case that these songs of ascents were given that name because they were songs that the pilgrims would sing as they would go up, ascend to Jerusalem for the three times a year feasts. The males in the book of Deuteronomy were commanded to be in Jerusalem three times a year for these feasts. And so they would make their way. And these psalms were the songs that they would sing on their way there. So one of the contexts in which this psalm fits is the context of pilgrimage. Another context in which it fits is the context of community. As the assembly of Israel, God's covenant people and the representatives thereof would make their way to Jerusalem for the feasts. What we hear in this psalm is the community of the people of God calling each other, speaking to one another as they made their way there, calling each other to faithfulness, speaking about the blessings of God and seeking God's blessing upon one another. They were, they were expressing what life is like within the community of God's people. This is what you do when you live in community. Now we today, we live in a, an individualistic society. Sort of the, the impulse of our time and age to, to not think in terms of community, but rather to think in terms of the individual. This is the tendency that we have because it's the culture that we live in. And so we have the tendency to, to read our Bible, not communally, but individually. We have the tendency to live our Christian lives, not communally, but individually. Well, one of the things that we do when we sing this psalm, and when we sing so many psalms, and when we hear God's word, is we call each other into community and we remind each other of the community in which we live. The community of the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That bond that we have with God through Him and through Him with each other. So that brings us to another context, the context of covenant. You see, as a church... We're not simply some community. There are lots of communities. There are lots of community groups you can join. There are lots of groups you can join if you have a particular hobby, if you're a particular age, if you've got particular interests, if you have a particular job. You can join all sorts of groups. The church isn't like that. The church is a covenant community. The people of Israel who were singing this song, they, yes, they were bound together by geography and culture in many ways, but they weren't bound together because of their geography and because of their culture, but rather they lived together in the land of Israel. They shared the same culture because of the deeper reality that side underneath, the reality of God's covenant. Because God had established his covenant with them, called them to be his own people. That's why they were together. Remember, when God called them, they didn't live in the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. 
God put them in that land. And as God worked with them, God showed them how they were to live so that they would develop a culture among each other. Culture of faithfulness, faith, love, and blessing. They were a covenant community. Now, you weren't, won't find that word covenant in this psalm, but it sits under every aspect that we see in here. Understanding God's covenant, that, that binding, formal relationship that God makes with His people, with believers and their children. You can hear the echoes of that covenant throughout this entire psalm. You can hear it in that word, blessed. Blessed. That word has strong associations with God's covenant. A covenant would contain a list of blessings and of curses. Blessings that would follow obedience and curses that would follow disobedience. We read about the the list of blessings in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And so when an Israelite would hear that word blessed, they would immediately associate it with covenant. And fearing the Lord and, and walking in His ways, those are words that are expressed over and over and over again, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. As God establishes His covenant with His people, then He commands them to fear Him and walk in His ways. Material blessings, as, as verses 2, 3, and 4 lay them out, were seen as the blessings of God's covenant. Zion and Jerusalem, mentioned in verses, in verse 5 are the centers, the geographical centers of covenant worship. Israel was the name, in fact, as we see in verse 6, peace be upon Israel, Israel was the name that God had given to Jacob when he reestablished his covenant with him. And you can read about that in Genesis chapter 35. So understanding this as a covenantal psalm, song of blessing helps us to understand this psalm. It helps us because we live in the new covenant. We live in the covenant inaugurated through the blood of Jesus Christ. We live in in many senses in continuity with those who would have first sung this psalm to each other. But we live in a new era of God's covenant making. We live in the new covenant. Covenant inaugurated by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant, and therefore the fulfillment of this psalm. But Jesus Christ is also the inauguration of the New Covenant, and therefore he fills this psalm as well with new meaning, as we today can take these words on our lips as we walk the pilgrimage of this life on our way to the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And so we consider this psalm. And we consider then the criteria of the blessing. That's how this psalm begins, with the criteria. It answers the question, well, who are blessed? Who are blessed? Well, those are blessed to fear the Lord and walk in His ways. The criteria for blessing are fearing and walking. Now, fearing God means holding God in reverence and awe. When we speak about fearing God, it's it's different than being terror-stricken. God is powerful enough that we would be struck 
with that kind of fear from him. But because we know that God is also a compassionate and forgiving God, that that terror turns to reverence for God's people. I'll give you an analogy with the caveat that it's a poor analogy. Perhaps in some way it can be helpful for you in understanding this word fear because it's a word that brings a lot of confusion. If you see a little dog running at you, you're probably not going to be scared. If you see a really big dog running at you very fast, you're probably going to be scared. Because that big dog can hurt you. But if you realize that that big dog was running at you, not in order to attack you, but to chase a bear away who was standing behind you, then you would not be scared of that dog, but rather you would be relieved. Now think of that analogy and remembering that I said the analogy is very poor. I want you, I want it to communicate something about God. God is an awesome and a powerful God. God is, is fearsome. The power that God holds as we see God using that power in judgment, as His Word reveals God working through history, scary. God can raise up and God can destroy in an instant. His power would be terrifying, except that we know that God is on our side. It's like knowing that big dog that's running at you is not running to attack you, but is rather coming to you to protect you. So in the same way, we as God's people, knowing God, are relieved when we understand Him. We know that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. We know that God, through Jesus Christ, is a compassionate and a forgiving God. So although God has the power to destroy us in an instant, we know through Jesus Christ that He is not doing that. But rather, He has saved us. He's redeemed us. He protects us from the power of evil. And of the attacks of Satan. So through Jesus Christ, our dread at the holiness and the justice of God turns to reverent awe and wonder. Because Jesus Christ is our mediator and our savior. Because Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross stands between us and the holiness and the justice of God. Jesus Christ protects us, brings us into fellowship with God, that holy and awesome God. So fearing God in turn means knowing that God is powerful. God is almighty. God, through Jesus Christ, does not stand against you. He has taken away your curse. And he has granted you his blessing. And so you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of that bear standing behind you. 
You don't need to be afraid of the evil one when he attacks you. You don't need to be afraid as you face the the difficulties and the trials of this life because God is bigger and more powerful than anything. God has shown his goodness. You can trust him. That's what's captured in that word fear as we speak about fearing God. But what does this practically look like? What is it what does it look like in someone's life when they fear the Lord? Well, we have that explained in the second part of verse 1 as those who walk in his ways. So that walk in his ways explains fearing the Lord. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, that is, who walk in his ways. Walking in God's ways is a way of describing what it means to fear the Lord. Well, in order to walk in God's ways, you have to know God's ways. You have to know God's word. You have to know what God commands. This is why so much of the book of Deuteronomy, as it, as it is given to God's people, expresses to them how they are to live how they are to walk, how they are to order their worship, how they are to live in fellowship with God. We have to seek to emulate the psalmist, for example, in Psalm 119, who loved God's Word. We have to seek to become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ, who Himself is the Word of God. We have to know God's Word. And we must walk in God's ways, as God lays them out for us. And this this imagery of walking is a very powerful one. When an, an infant begins to walk, they don't walk in strength. They, they teeter. They, they hardly walk. They often fall. Parents of infants who are learning to walk often wonder how it is that they keep getting up and falling back down again. It must happen after a while that their rear begins to hurt and they would give up, but they don't. They keep trying and they keep walking. The mature person, the person who has been walking for a long time, continues to walk and they they learn how to walk and they walk confidently. They walk boldly. It's the same in life. A person who's just beginning to walk according to the ways of God, they, they teeter and they fall and they fall often. By God's grace, they get back up and they continue to walk again. Or you can think of the person who has a traumatic accident, hurts their leg, and makes them difficult to walk. It's the same for God's people. As they go through traumatic experiences in life, it makes it difficult for them to walk. But walk they do by God's blessing. We must learn, brothers and sisters, to walk in God's ways, seeking to do what God commands us to do. And God's word lays out for us in so many ways the way in which we are to walk. And we need to realize that in walking in God's ways, oftentimes that expresses not so much what we do. Think of the letters of Paul. Paul doesn't express to God's people so much the nitty-gritty of, of what they are to do in life, do this, do that. But rather, Paul is concerned about, about how God's people think. 
and how they feel, how they process things, how they, how they express their faith. Those are harder. Those, those matters of the heart are oftentimes a lot harder and more profound than the matters of the hand, how we work things out. You can think, for example, of tithing. God's word is very clear that we are to give of our first fruits as God's people. We are to be generous. We are to give. So of the material blessings that God gives to us, we are to give to those in need. God's word is very clear about that. In a sense, that's easy. It's easy to give money. You might not be convinced about it, but it's true. It's easy to give money. It's easy to give a lot of money. You just give it. Write a check, and away it goes. But what's hard to do is to give cheerfully. God calls us not only to be generous givers, but he calls us to give cheerfully. He calls us to write that big check with a joyful and happy heart. To experience the joy of giving that away and not giving it away grudgingly. That's difficult. That's difficult. That is also included in the the ways of the Lord. The way in which we as God's people are to walk. We walk in God's ways. We walk in the way of him who is the way and the truth and the life. Our Lord Jesus Christ. We walk in his path. The path that the Old Testament outlines, shows in in so many forms and shadows, and the way in which Jesus Christ himself did walk when he came to this earth. That is the direction of our walking. The community of God, the God's covenant people, call those who walk in these ways blessed. Blessed. And we should notice something about this word blessed. The word blessed that's used in verses 1 and 2, blessed are those in blessings and prosperity, is actually a different word than what's used in verse 4 and 5. It's a different word. This word blessed in, in verse 1 Other translations will translate as happy, happy, content, satisfied is the one or all those who fear the Lord. One dictionary gave this helpful definition of that word blessed as to be envied, to be envied, envy in a good way, of course. Within the church, this is the kind of person who you want to be. This is the kind of person who, whom people look up to, to be envied, to be followed, is, are all those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways. If you go to the gym to work out, everybody wants to be like the guy with the biggest muscles in the gym. At work, everybody envies the person who's super productive and who gets tons of things done. In the cul-de-sac where you live, everyone envies the person who's got a really nice lawn and garden, perfectly manicured, and the house looks great. The soccer game, it's that girl who scores all the goals, plays the game really well. Well, in church, 
the one whom we want to emulate, the one whom we want to be like, we want to envy in the good way, is the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Isn't that true? That that person who who really, the way they live, the way they carry out their life, they actually believe that God is powerful. They actually trust him so that they're not afraid of, of all the other things that come their way in life. That person who actually knows and walks in the ways of the Lord. That's the one who we emulate. And who is it that we seek to be like? As we say, blessed are all who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has shown us this way. So we move now to verses 2 and beyond in the clues of blessing. It's important to see that period there at the end of verse 1. Otherwise, you'll be envious of the person who's materially prosperous, has a fruitful wife and exemplary sons, as verses verses 2 and 3 lay out. And while, in fact, those are the clues of blessedness, as this psalm mentions them, we are not meant to be envious of those blessings. Of course not. That would be coveting. We're not to be envious of those blessings. In fact, you might wonder, this is really the jarring point in the psalm, what are we to think of these items listed? What are we to think of Deuteronomy chapter 28? It's it's almost difficult to hear as those blessings are laid out and we think, well, is that true? Should we look at perhaps the lack of blessings in our lives as a problem? What are we to think of the material wealth and the fruitful wife and the exemplary sons? Well, we should note at the outset that a number of things are obvious. One thing that's obvious is that many God-fearing, exemplary, obedient Christians are not wealthy don't have fruitful wives. In fact, about half of them probably don't have fruitful wives. They would be women themselves and don't have children. Many faithful people are in a modest living and many struggle financially. Many faithful Christians are single and unmarried. Many faithful Christians don't have children struggle with infertility. And on the flip side, as it's often observed in the Psalms and in Scripture, there are many people who don't fear the Lord or walk in his ways that are materially wealthy, who have fruitful wives and whose children seem to be fine, upstanding people. So what do we do with this psalm? Does a significant portion of the church have to cringe Every time they hear or sing what's meant to be an uplifting song of blessing. Should they search themselves and and ask whether in fact they are serving God properly because they're not seeing this evidence of God's blessing in their lives. So what do we have here? Well, what we do have here are examples Samples, you might say, of God's blessings. 
material blessings in this life that he gives to his people. Those who, who study and teach rhetoric will tell you that, that listing things in numbers of three, as we have here, eating the fruit of your labor and, and so material blessings and a fruitful wife and, and sons, exemplary sons, is a way of, of saying, here's a sample of kinds of material blessings. Here's a sample of blessings that, that God gives to his people. So this is not meant to be a comprehensive list. There are other kinds of blessings that God's people experience. But these are, are common blessings, you might say, that God gives. Material success. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Seems certain that this is speaking about material blessings. We see here that God's people are called to work and to work hard. And we see many times that they do experience the blessings of that in prosperity, in finances, what the Lord gives from his hand. We also see the blessing of a fruitful wife. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. So this wife is around. She, she is within the home, working, busy. Echoes of Titus 2 there, being a homemaker. And she's fruitful. Fruitful in so many different ways. Perhaps we are used to thinking of this fruitfulness in terms of bearing children, but there are many, many different ways in which a wife can be fruitful, blessed is the man whose wife is like that. On the other side, blessed is the woman whose husband is fruitful. The sons are like olive shoots. Olive shoots, as I understand, are shoots that come up from the base of the tree. They grow very fast and they, they share the sap that the, the tree itself uh, has, shares all the nutrients of the tree. This is a way of saying, by idiom, these, these sons are chips off the old block. Your sons be like olive shoots around your table. The man sits there and all these sons who, who resemble him sprout up around him. All these things are, are good things. They're blessings. And they're, they're to be enjoyed as blessings that come from the hand of God. But brothers and sisters, we take a step back and consider this blessing in light of redemptive, or this psalm in light of redemptive history. I think it will help us to understand what these blessings are all about. So on the one hand, yes, we can affirm that these are blessings. And they're samples of the kinds of blessings that God gives. But consider, consider the man who feared the Lord and who walked in his ways perfectly. Consider his life. Consider our Lord Jesus Christ. He had no material success. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had no wife, nor children. You see, if you're convinced that you need to put a straight line between these three items listed in this psalm, or any material blessings, and faithfulness, godliness, 
then you don't know what to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and he gave up his glory so that we could gain rich blessings from God. What the Lord Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth, in fact, was he bore in himself, in his body and in his spirit, the curse of God. He bore the curse of God. He walked through this life without the blessings of God, bearing the curse of God for us. And finally on the cross, the the total, full outpouring of God's curse so that we could receive blessings from God. But what kind of blessings do we receive through Jesus Christ? What are listed here are, are consistent with so many Old Testament statements about about God's blessings. God gave these blessings to his people to to show them his goodness to them. But in Jesus Christ, God has ultimately and finally shown his goodness to him. So that we would not seek Old Testament blessings, which were mere signs of things to come. But rather... So that we would seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the righteousness found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that all of these things would be added unto us. What we are called to do, brothers and sisters, as the as believers in God's new covenant is to seek the highest blessing, the blessing of being found in Jesus Christ. Paul lays that out in Philippians 3. I consider all those things I had in the past rubbish that I might be found in Jesus Christ, sharing in his righteousness. And also, as Paul says, sharing in his sufferings. The greatest blessing is to be found in Jesus Christ. You see, the problem with blessings is us. Is that we can experience blessings, not in a good way, but in a bad way. We can take pride in them as we see them. Paul considers everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. If you take pride in the temporal, material blessings that you enjoy, brothers and sisters, then you are in fact at risk of the greatest blessing of being found in Jesus Christ. These things are not to be taken proud of, to be taken to be proud of. If you despair, on the other hand, at the lack of temporal material blessings in your life, then you are being called to put your treasure in Jesus Christ and find your blessing in him. And the higher, the highest Blessings that can be found. The blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what the gospel of Jesus Christ promises as we look to him for the highest blessings of God to be found in him receiving his righteousness is not that we will not receive material blessings. You will receive abundant material blessings in Jesus Christ. You will. It will be there for you. Riches and prosperity 
fulfillment in love. And greater than the fulfillment that comes from having children. But what the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ teaches is that we will not receive that now. But we will receive it on the last day. This is the promise of the resurrection. Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. We too, and our loved ones and so many others, will still die. We will still experience that aspect of God's curse. But through the work of Jesus Christ, we will not die, but we will continue to live. And our body will be raised up and we will experience so much more than the blessings that this psalm lays out. So we come to the conferring of blessing finally. There's a vast difference between taking pride in the things that God has given and taking the song of blessing upon your own lips for the good of another. Notice that verses 5 and 6, are, are the, the attention is taken off of ourselves. This is what blessings are all about. Not so that we can hoard them and, and turn inward, but so that we can rejoice in God and turn outward because of them. And we hear that in this conferring of blessing. May the Lord bless you. You. We confer God's blessings on others. May you see his prosperity. And in several different ways, the blessing serves to draw us out of ourselves. The blessings come from God. We seek the, the blessing, the well-being of Jerusalem's future. We seek the good of future generations. And we call for peace upon Israel. And yes, we do enjoy these blessings in so many ways, even now. But whenever they come to us, brothers and sisters, they come from God. They come from God so that praise may be to God. And they are given for a greater purpose than, our, than ourselves. They are given for the good of Jerusalem. They are given for the good of, of God's people, God's covenant people with whom we worship. And for the Israelites, Jerusalem was also the center of their civic life. And so our blessings are also to be given for the good of our civic community. We seek to be a light in this world. And those blessings are to continue through the generations. That's what we seek. And we seek ultimately the peace of Israel, that the church would live with peace, at peace with God in Jesus Christ. And so as the covenant community, fearing God and walking in his ways, we sing this song to one another. We remind each other of the one who blesses and of the way of blessing so that we might taste and see the goodness of the Lord in Jesus Christ, our Savior. As the New Covenant community, as we sing this song, our minds and our hearts are, are filled, are blessed by Jesus Christ so that we might worship him as the great high priest who confers the blessing and who incorporates us into himself so that we might experience being in him as the greatest, the highest, the strongest, and the most profound blessing of all. So that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will be upon the church of Jesus Christ forever. Amen. 
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.